guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast, episode number 79. It is Monday, October 12th. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we hand out some virtual hardware to the 2020 Brewers. We pick a few uh, winners for awards, including Most Valuable Player, Most Improved Player, Rookie of the Year. We might even make up a few more awards as we go. It's that kind of day. Uh, but really, we want to talk about some of the highlights of this season. It was a, a grind for a lot of people. I think we were glad to have Brewers baseball back for 2020, given that for a stretch in March and April and May, even most of June, it didn't look like there was going to be a season, so at least we we had one. But Will, how's it going for you on this Monday? I'm doing well, Derek. Getting used to the off season, the off season schedule <laughs> after a uh, after a very very intense sixty game season. Because people people like to dismiss it as oh, it was quick, it was sixty games. It was still every day, and that's what a lot of people sort of gloss over. I feel like who are who are not in it. Not that I'm complaining about it or anything like that, but just. It's a lot, um, no matter what, even if it's on, only, quote, unquote, 60 games. It's still every day. Um, so it's kind of weird to sort of not have the season for the Brewers, at least. There's certainly still some playoff games going on, but it's like, okay. Well, I'm still going to write about the, the Brewers here, but it's a little bit different now. So I'm getting used to it. Still got BA calling games for TBS, which is awesome. It's great to hear BA deep into the season, even if the Brewers aren't playing in it. Uh, it was cool that he was on the mic for the big home run in Game 5 of the ALDS, that Mike Brasso home run that put the Rays on top uh, against Aroldis Chapman. If you don't follow the league outside of the Brewers, a lot of drama, of course, between those two players earlier this season. So it's been a fun postseason so far. I think a lot of us look at the format and say, we don't want this format back again. But for this year, it's been okay, and the quality of play has absolutely been there so far. Really curious to see what happens in that Braves Dodgers series because I think those are two offenses that can go toe to toe and just trade punches for seven games. But I think there's a pretty big gap in terms of pitching depth. The Dodgers have that sort of advantage over just about everybody. And I think we're going to see it, especially in the middle of that series when you get to games, games three and four. The quality of the starters that the Dodgers can throw out there is going to be quite a bit higher than what the Braves have at their disposal. But you want more of that? We're talking about the playoffs every day on the Rates and Barrels podcast that I host with Eno and Britt Giroli. As far as the Brewers go, it's going to be a little while before big decisions are made because nothing really happens until after the World Series. Uh, even the non-tender deadline isn't until the first week of December, so we're going to go a long way before we get decisions on some of the guys we talked about last week. Uh, Omar Narvaez sort of being the, the main guy that fits into that bucket, but plenty of other players who could be non-tendered as well, because as we said on last week's episode, the payroll question is rearing its ugly head yet again. So if you missed last week's episode, a lot of talk about what might happen with the core of the roster, the future of Ryan Braun, cover all that stuff last week. Uh, we want to talk about some of these highlights, though, from this season. And we'll start with the rookie of the year. If you think about the the newcomers to this Brewers team, Will, there were a handful of guys that we really didn't expect to see who came on to actually have meaningful roles at the end of the season. 
As you think about the best rookies the Brewers have, though, there's one name that jumps off the page. It's Devin Williams. And, you know, it's unfortunate that he was unavailable to pitch in the wild card series against the Dodgers with a bit of shoulder inflammation. First question on Williams before we kind of get back into his season. By all indications, is he going to go through a normal offseason? Is that going to be just a, a minor injury that, that heals up and allows him to go about his business as usual going forward? Yeah, as far as we know, David Stearns confirmed what Devin Williams had said before the Brewers were eliminated, and that was he likely would have been available if the Brewers were to have pulled off an upset and had advanced against the Dodgers. So he he would have been pitching in the next round for for Milwaukee. So that's that was a bit of reassurance, right? Because you didn't you fear the worst with somebody as excellent as he was this past season. Anything with shoulder, arm, elbow, <laughs> that's that's a uh, perilous territory there. But he, by all indications, like you said, should have a normal off season. I'll I'll try to check in with him at some point this week to see how he's doing. But but yeah, man, he he jumps off the page. It was kind of funny because. Uh, he pitched in 2019, right? And so you did have some people ask about, "Hey, how is he still a rookie? Is he still is he still really a rookie? Like, what is going on here?" But certainly, he he was. He he did not reach the threshold for uh, going above rookie status, so he was able to keep it. So yeah, he he's off the page. His excellence jumps out at you. It's obvious. Uh, he should win Rookie of the Year, in my opinion, at least. Although there there are some other candidates who who could make it a little bit more interesting, but yeah, fifty three percent strikeout rate, fastball, unbelievable changeup. Everybody knows the story already. It's almost as if he requires a different conversation in himself when we're talking about rookies. Yeah, I mean, from an up and down back end of the bullpen sort of guy to maybe the best reliever on a team that had the game's best reliever coming into the season. That's quite the transformation. I just looked back at the last 20 years. If you take a look at Brewers history, all their relievers, all their starters, obviously a starter is not going to do as well in this category. But if you look for strikeout rates over any season with at least 20 innings pitched, Devin Williams easily the franchise leader over the last 20 years in that regard. 53% like you mentioned. Next two closest seasons both belong to Josh Hader in 2019 and 2018. Uh, Drew Pomeranz pops up there at 45%. A couple of peak Corey Knable seasons in there at 40.8 and 39.5% as well. Uh, the question I think most people are going to have with Williams is, what's next? Like, Where do you go from here? How do you sustain a level this high? And maybe the answer is you can't. Like, You just don't see pitchers on any team strike out half the batters they face for a multi-year stretch. He doesn't have to be that good to continue to be one of the best relievers in the league. If he gets into the 35 to 40% range, that's still elite. If he brings the walk rate down, that would help. 9% still not bad. We've seen Hayter live off that. Corey Knable's seasons were both uh, higher walk rate seasons than that. So there's still a crazy bright future here, even though we're talking about a limited sample. And you know, there's always that possibility, if the Brewers were to trade Josh Hader, that Devin Williams would also start racking up saves in 2021 as well. Yeah, statistically, it's like, he could only get worse, right? As as sort of lame as that as that is, but I mean, he's gonna give up more than a run, you would think, in twenty twenty one, and so his ERA will climb uh, from 
the minuscule number it sits at right now, which it, which was 0.33. A lot of guys have said that's video game-like. I've played video games growing up. I was never able to kind of put that sort of season together. So I think it goes beyond video game, that sort of adjective, uh, that sort of descriptor. It was just insane. So, yeah, you know, he's going to have probably another really good season. I'm not sure if he's going to strike out 53% of the guys he faces again. I'm not sure he's going to give up just a run or two. Right, obviously, but he, he's going to have a great year. I think that he, he really confirmed his status as the season went on, that this was not something fluky. This was not something that you could kind of discard in any sort of way because he was facing the same teams over and over again, and he, they weren't able to figure him out. It's not as if he was popping up against you know the San Francisco Giants one week and then pitching against the Reds. I mean, this was all regionally-based schedule where you were facing the same exact teams in the same division unless you're going against your your um, interleague divisional foes in the AL Central. But point is, is that the information was there and he was able to kind of do it over and over and over again. So it became to the point where you were surprised when something went wrong, like when he, when he walked a guy or something like that. It was a it was a gasp in the press box or or while you were watching on TV. So, yeah, the future is certainly bright. I mean, he, if, if you're looking for... 2020 reasons or 2020 bright spots to be excited about the Brewers. He's it's like him and Burns are one A one B, regardless of how you want to slice it. They they had incredible years, and when you look back and you try to put it in perspective, because of the innings that they both pitched, respect respectively. You know, Devin Williams only had the 27, but you got to place that somewhere in the top Brewer seasons of all time. And it's a really difficult task because they, they have had relievers pitch excellent. Uh, you mentioned a couple with Josh Hader. Uh, Corey Knable had that lights out season not too long ago. The big one, of course, is the Raleigh Fingers Cy Young season. I mean, Devin Williams' 2020 belongs somewhere there. I'm not sure if it's number one or number two, but it, it's somewhere in that top five, I would I would say, right? Yeah, it's definitely among the most memorable reliever seasons we've seen in Brewers history. I don't think there's any debate about that. Uh, I think the thing about Williams that's interesting is he could sweep the three awards that I suggested we were going to give out. You could argue (laughs) that he's their most improved player, he's their rookie of the year, and he's their best player this season. But I do think Corbin Burns, uh, maybe it's because he started from a a lower place. Like most improved player or comeback player or or awards like that, I always feel like you got to start at the bottom Corbin Burns hit rock bottom in 2019. I had high expectations for him coming off of a a really nice debut in 2018. I thought he was going to be a stabilizing presence in the middle of the rotation a year ago. It didn't happen. He only threw 49 innings. The strikeouts were there, but the ratios were atrocious. Home runs were a problem. Hitters were teeing off on that fastball. The transformation of Corbin Burns is obviously a testament to his own hard work and adjustments, but also... Uh, I think a nod in player development for the Brewers to take you know a really good raw pitcher who struggled mightily and sort of rebuild him over an offseason. Again, it's joint credit. I think they, they both put in the time and the work and they found something that game plan wise really enabled Corbin Burns to turn it around. But he was a 2.4 war pitcher in less than 60 innings, which is incredible. I mean, if you just project him out for... 180 innings. That's a seven war pitcher. Those are rare. So now you might have found a guy who could really be a a co-ace along with Brandon Woodruff. And I feel like in some ways, because Burns got so much better in one year, people overlooked that 
Brandon Woodruff quietly took another step forward skills-wise. Woodruff had a great 2020, and I think Corbin Burns is just getting more headlines. It also took Woodruff a few starts to kind of assert his dominance in that way because I don't want to say he got off to a slow start because I don't, I don't think he did. It's just that he wasn't pitching really all that deep into games, and he had that issue where things would sort of go wrong in the fifth inning or second or third time against the batting order, really the third time. And that would sometimes hit him and knock him out out of, out of starts earlier than you would anticipate or earlier than you would want from your number one guy. And so he had to deal with that for a brief period. I would say like maybe three or four starts it lasted. But once he, he turned the page on that, and that was right around the beginning of September, you're right. He started to, to pitch in a way that really was unreal. I mean, it, he was taking that another step to that extra step that everybody thought that he would or everybody hoped that he would to blossom into that A status. And he did so in the background of Burns. And so people did overlook it. I, I agree with you there. Although I think it's just because also that, that August for him was a, a little up and down by his standard. And then once he did get going, you know, Burns was dominating headlines with Cy Young talk, which was deserved so yeah they they're in a good place there i expect burns to receive some some cy young votes he's not going to win it um he's not going to finish second or third i don't think either but he'll probably get some votes um as far as like for me he was their mvp if you want to you know return the conversation back to the uh, the awards uh title that we're that we're doing on this episode, for me, he was their MVP, not just because he, he led the team in F4, but I mean, he gave them 60 quality innings, regardless of if it was coming out of relief or starting. Every time he was on the mound, he had that presence similar to Devin Williams that you didn't want to take your eyes off, off of what you were seeing because he was about to do something special. So I, I, for my money, he's, he's the MVP of this team, um, from 2020. You could say that he was most improved too. But I would point out that, you know, he was always pretty good. You know, in 2018, he it's not as if he was like, you know, going through some sort of like years long process of sort of getting better or getting to this point. It was, it was really just like the, the craziness of the fact that he did it within a 12 month span or, or less, actually. It was really like a six month span, if that. Um, when he started to put the work in toward it. So I don't, I don't have a great title for what he was able to accomplish there. Uh, because, you know, most improved for me is always like a guy that has sort of worked his way up to get to a certain point. Um, and wasn't really starting from all that great of a place. You know, Burns had a pretty good foundation. So for me, it's more of like a comeback player of the year toward it sort of thing because he did have to improve. Don't get me wrong. He had to improve his whole repertoire and and, and do that. Uh, but the foundation was pretty strong for him. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to break it all down. The other thought or, or question or award that I guess that has crossed my mind is just sort of digging through the numbers from this year and thinking about some of the players that we didn't really expect to see a lot of. I mean, Tyrone Taylor ended up playing a role on this team that had Lorenzo Cain not opted out, he probably wouldn't have had more than a handful of plate appearances this year. You know, Jacob Nottingham ended up coming up and, and playing because of Manny Pena's injury. Uh, Dan Vogelbach was a waiver claim who ended up coming in and having kind of a prominent role. I mean, was there anybody that you saw that 
just surprised you who you know was kind of an un, not an unsung hero because this team didn't do well enough to really have one but <laughs> you know who who really kind of emerged for you as someone who significantly exceeded your expectations from the bottom part of the roster I mean I think Jed Jerko could probably be a part of that conversation as well but he probably entered with higher expectations than the other guys that I mentioned for me it's Eric Yardley because he was a guy that when you and I spoke about bullpen options like way back when and say like February February and March he's not a name that exactly was at the top of our list he was somebody that we would kind of throw in as somebody who could probably make the roster uh, but as one of their last options and you didn't really know a whole lot of what to expect from this guy uh 30 year old rookie pretty much I guess he was 29 when the season started Pitched briefly for the Padres in 2019, didn't have a future there, really didn't know what his future was going to be until he was scooped up by the Brewers. And I mean, his numbers were just out, they were just outstanding for me. Um, he is a guy that you sort of knew what you were getting. He was going to work his way out of jams a lot of times. He inherited, he got into games where he inherited some guys on base. A lot of times he would strand those guys. It wasn't automatic. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't in the category like a Devin Williams, but the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, he he was really good at generating some ground balls, got his fair share of whiffs as well when he needed them. Uh, To me, he's just, he's, he's was a slam dunk for, you know, the Milwaukee uh, baseball writers chapter puts together our awards every year for what you just mentioned, unsung hero, and maybe that descriptor isn't the greatest to to apply to this season. Uh, but he was the winner for that award, award, I think, landslide, if not 100%. And he was certainly my pick for it. Uh, just because, sure, they only got to 29 and 31, but they don't get there without what he was able to do in the sixth and seventh innings of games, particularly when David Phelps was dealt. There's something about bullpen construction here that is is worth driving home with the Brewers this is something we talked about looking at the Rays bullpen on Monday's rates and barrels but I mentioned the Brewers as an example of a team that does this really well you don't necessarily want eight guys who all just come in and throw 98 it's not the worst thing in the world but you want to give teams different looks and that's something the Brewers have done really well and I think I'm probably one of Alex Claudio's biggest critics I just I don't like the stuff I, I think he's a little inconsistent but from the left side low velocity, just the different arm angles that he brings. It's kind of a a left-handed version of Yardley, right? Like you're not getting premium velocity. You're not getting an overpowering guy who's going to come in and strike out the world. But I think it's really difficult for opposing teams to hit guys that look a lot different, especially if you throw Claudio out there or Yardley out there following a Burns or a Woodruff, right? Like after one of your starters who throws really hard with plenty of movement, you're changing speed, you're changing arm slot. And the Brewers do that in a lot of different phases too. I mean, Hayter obviously is his own beast. Brent Suter, when he comes into a game, Brent Suter doesn't look like anybody else pitching on that staff, right? I think you can kind of go up and down and see that they've got different arm slots, different release points, different arsenals, just different looks. And I think that's not an accident. I think that's absolutely by design, and I think that is a really good point with Yardley. He's just one of those guys that no one really expected much of him when he was claimed off waivers from the Padres last November, 
but you'd argue, I think right now at this point, he's been easily the most valuable of the three players acquired from San Diego last offseason, given what happened to Luis Urias with the wrist and the time he missed with COVID, and given that we just didn't get a whole lot out of Eric Lauer in 2020 either. Oh yeah, no question. And no question, it's by, it's by design. Uh, I mean, just like you said, there's, there's a reason why Alex uh, Claudio's on this team. And I would say that, you know, he's just not exactly a, somebody that's going to be 100% non-tendered either. I mean, this is a guy that they're going to have to make a decision on because he does bring something to the table that's unique, similar to Yardley. So yeah, there, there were a few guys who were kind of like, like you said, who, sort of surpassed expectations just because we didn't know what they were capable of or just their track record was a little bit uneven. So I think Jed Jerko was also one of those guys. And, you know, we go back to that MVP talk about just the MVP of this team. And, you know, just going back to our discussion with like the Milwaukee local chapter of writers, we talked about the idea of like, Corbin Burns and Devin Williams, we want to award both of those guys, but it's a little bit silly to give one guy the MVP and one guy the best pitcher when essentially, okay, if you're the MVP, you should also be the best pitcher, right? Like logically speaking, that that's what makes sense. But for us, we just looked at it as, hey, you know, no offense to guys like Jed Jerko who would be in position to perhaps claim that MVP type of award from a position player standpoint. We just weren't all that convinced because even though Jericho surpassed those expectations and played really, really well. Overall, the numbers don't exactly jump off the page. He had a, a dip in production down the stretch as well. So yeah, in a year where there was really not much to choose from position player-wise for that MVP award, that's kind of a why we settled on that that Burns and, and Williams basically by by all by all accounts, I mean they were basically like co MVPs in a way, in a sense, and that's kind of like how it was written up and um, decided on. But aside from that, I mean Jerko would fall into that category, um, and then for guys, I mean also like rookies too, with Devin Williams being part of like that own separate discussion because he was so excellent. It's worth going back to that discussion a little bit just to kind of point out that you know Justin Topo was another guy who. Didn't play, didn't pitch the whole season for the Brewers, but once he did and once he debuted after that first game, he was, he was pretty much lights out for them. And that was down the stretch and, and that was even in the playoffs by some people's surprise. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1 800 direct TV. Terms or restrictions apply. There's one other kind of big question I think we should discuss on this episode. You had a great piece for The Athletic that went up at the end of last week or middle of last week. You were looking at you know, what the Brewers' top prospects did this summer. Most of them, of course, were up in Appleton at the alternate site, and most of them were several injuries away from even getting a sniff of the big leagues because they're not guys who are knocking on the door. Most of these guys were not going to play even at AAA in 2020 had there been a minor league season. Uh, but as you were speaking to Tom Flanagan for that piece, was there anybody that really 
stood out to you? Like as you were putting that together, you're like, you know what? This might have been almost a better year development wise for this player being around more talent. I mean, I think the the lower level prospects, the argument I would make, I think I've talked to you about this off air before, is if you're in the situation of someone like Hedbert Perez, who is a teenager and at most was going to see maybe a little time at low A this year, and even that wasn't guaranteed, seeing a bunch of guys who were high A, double A, and a few triple A arms and working against them and working out with guys that have been through the grind a few times, that may have been better for his development than seeing extremely wild teenage pitchers that really can't throw strikes and really can't test a guy who has such a bright long-term future. Did you get the sense that there was anybody development-wise that might have benefited from this odd season? I did, actually, and it's a great topic of conversation. And I'm actually on the fence with with Perez on that example just because I could also see it being sort of like a situation where he's also totally overmatched as a 17-year-old just because he's going against guys who are on the cusp of being on the major league roster in a lot of cases too. Like the the Brewers did pull from Appleton to fill some pitcher spots, right? With Rasmussen, Perdomo, uh, a couple of other guys, Topa, who I mentioned earlier. So Bigford at one point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There were, there were a few guys, right? And so that may have been sort of um, one where I'm kind of on the fence because I agree with you, logically speaking, that it probably, probably did help him in a lot of ways how much i'm not sure um but one guy that i am convinced that it helped is bryce terang because terang would have spent 2020 in a normal season he would have spent the year somewhere like an a ball to start and then maybe half the year in double a something like that is the way that it was explained to me and so in that situation like yeah you're, you're facing some some talented young arms but you're also going against some some really suspect pitching, right? Some guys who are just there to kind of fill out some depth on your, on your, on, in your farm system, whatever. Um, and you're not really getting a whole lot better there. But for a guy like Terang, who has seen some minor league pitching already anyway, is still a younger guy too. Um, I think he's what, 20 years old, 21. I think he's just 20 actually. So to go against somebody like say Ethan Small for instance or even the older guys that I that I mentioned like Rasmussen or Bigford guys like that I mean he was really challenged and so for somebody like Terang who's a mature hitter that's the way that he, a lot of people have described him to me a guy who knows the strike zone pretty well this was these were the type of matchups that probably really helped him and so it's it's weird to kind of say that without a minor league system somebody may have benefited in their in their without a minor league season somebody may have benefited within their system but for my money it, it's terrain because of all the all those reasons i mentioned i think i think he probably did benefit from this yeah i think with terrain the ongoing question is how much will he fill out and how much power will he develop once that happens because what we've seen from him so far in the minor leagues he controls the zone really well i mean great walk rates so far as a prospect Pretty much no real game power. We're talking about a handful of home runs in game situations. I think he's hit four home runs between rookie ball and high A since being drafted as a first rounder by the Brewers two summers ago. But if he adds power and he has some speed too, he becomes a very exciting prospect. Up until he reached high A in 2019, he was an above average hitter at each of his first stops. I mean, that's not a big surprise for a first round pick to perform really well in those spots but 
you just look at that profile and you can sort of dream on the offensive potential if he adds that one last element. And I feel like if I have a choice between a good hit tool with plate skills or raw power with a developing hit tool, I'd rather develop power. I think it's easier to add power than it is to fix holes in a swing for a young player. Yeah, it took the words right out of my mouth is that he's he's in a good place right now. You you could add you could add the size to your body, you could add some power and and it sounds like he's doing that too. I spoke with Tom Flanagan about that and and he that was the one area where he pointed to that was okay, on one side, sure, it's the area where he needs to improve, but we also saw Nick strides there too. I mean, he was putting in the work in to do that and we did see we did see him tap into it a little bit. And it's worth reiterating that this guy, just body-wise, body composition-wise, again, 20 years old, would still be in, what, his third year of college at this point if he, if he had gone. So, I mean, he's got some, he's got some time here, right? I mean, it's not out of, it's, it's pretty conceivable, actually, that by the time he's, say, 23, 24, 25, that he rounds into maybe more of a complete, uh, package in, in terms of adding some, adding some size and developing some of that power. I still think there's quite a bit to like there and just curious to see what he does once he gets back into game situations. Hopefully we have a a normal or something that looks like a normal minor league season in 2021 so we can see players continuing their development that way. Uh, Tons of good nuggets, though. If you're into Brewers prospects at all, be sure to check out Will's piece if you haven't done that already. It's some of the best stuff you're going to find prospect-wise, especially on the Brewers system that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I am at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to get that subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 422. You can sign up for just $1 a month. If you're enjoying this podcast, you're listening on Apple Podcasts or any platform that allows you to rate and review the show, please take a moment to do that. We really appreciate it. Now that we're into the off season, we're not going to have episodes each and every week. We're going to kind of go to like a once a month sort of thing, but it's going to be based on news. So it's going to be a few weeks, probably after the World Series, until we get to our next episode. We appreciate everybody who's been listening this season. I know it's been a weird year. It wasn't the year any of us were hoping for on the the fan side for the Brewers, but hopefully uh, the highlights were at least worth hanging around for. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you soon from Section 422.